You're listening to The Science of Storytelling, presented by Pressboard, a show about marketing, media, and the people making it happen. Your host is Jared Grimm. On this episode of The Science of Storytelling, I speak with Jeffrey Weinstock from Disney Creative Works. Jeffrey and I chat about his pretty unconventional career path from covering sports to traveling with the cast of Dawson's Creek and the time he found himself on set with a real-life Star Wars X-Wing. So, if you're a fan of the incredibly wide-reaching world that is Disney, from Blackish to Hulu to Marvel and everything in between, you are going to love this episode. Now, hit that subscribe button and enjoy the show. Jeffrey, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Yeah, I've been looking forward to chatting with you. I think a lot of people would be super interested in someone that's worked at a place like Disney quite some time, enough time to be able to see changes, not only in the industry, but changes in that company. It's it's not something, it's not a company that stays stagnant. And you are the VP and creative director of Disney Creative Works. Now, a lot of, a lot of people know Disney, even if I don't think anyone really knows Disney. How do you understand a company that is as comfortable producing new segments as they are making roller coasters? But what would you say, how would you explain Disney Creative Works and how it fits into that Disney ecosystem? Well, it's funny when you when you say someone's been with Disney and I've been there for you know, about 14 and a half years, even with that tenure, I still feel like a newcomer to Disney. And when you look at some of the folks who have worked within the company and how long they've been there, you realize that 14 is still, you know, still fairly new comparatively because for the reasons you mentioned, there's so much to this company. And when you think you learn or have a grasp on something, then everything changes again. And that change can be external, right? The entire industry changes. It can be internal because of strategic changes within the company, whether it's we've acquired something, we've shifted around. So even at 14 and a half years, I am constantly kind of opening up new portals within the company. And you realize, oh, I, I didn't know there was someone who does that here. That's great to know. How would I found that out ahead of time? And so you you constantly are growing within the company such that every new project that you take on, there's always going to be something unique about it. There's never, we always say, people, people ask it, well, how'd you do it last time? I'll say, well, I, I could go through that, but I guarantee you what worked, whether it's six months ago, a year ago, five years ago, is not going to work today for a variety of reasons. So, you know, that that for me is what's really interesting about Disney and I'm sure like many other companies. Um, so... To answer about uh, Disney Creative Works, we are kind of a group of branded content experts within Disney. I happen to reside within Disney Advertising Sales because Disney Creative Works serves our advertising clients. And so we had several different teams residing within each of the different networks because we're kind of aligned with the content experts. When you're working with branded content, you want to have a great relationship with your showrunners, with your creators, um, with your writers, and with your talent and programming executives. So we have uh, those relationships. And Disney Creative Works now becomes this group. We like to call ourselves the Avengers of Branded Entertainment uh, because there's several of us stationed within different uh, programming modules or networks within our company. So in my case, I'm focusing very heavily on ABC, um, which was where I started with um, or have been with for the past five years, and Disney Channel, Disney Digital. And then, of course, the biggest focus we have is 
cross division. So I'm working with my counterpart over at ESPN or my counterpart over in Nat Geo. And there's a couple of us who've kind of taken on the role of helping to lead Disney Creative Works and bring everyone all together so we can be one team and really serve our advertisers as, as a strong group and have one voice in the marketplace to advertisers internally as well, because that's equally as important. And that's what Disney Creative Works is. It's a new uh, venture for us, but doing work that we had all been doing uh, separately. And imagine, you know, that is a, you've got ABC, Disney Channel, ESPN, Nat Geo, you've got the new side of it. Like there's how many properties or networks? <laughs> I, you know, it's so funny because just when you think you have something, <laughs> there's a new change, but you know, we're, we're collaborating across all of those. And so it can be uh, working with our counterparts in news, and we have experts in that arena too, to help figure out what would work on uh, a GMA in the morning there, or Tamron. Uh, there's just so many different opportunities. And now with Hulu part of the portfolio, it opens up just such a new world there and a, a new environment for advertisers and for our viewers to engage with us. It's just that different. So having all of these experts around the company is really helpful for us to tell these engaging stories. And we, you know, obviously our job is to tell them in the best possible way for that program, for that network, for that platform. And that's where the challenge becomes because what, what is going to work for, to your point, to news versus a social play on Disney Digital, Hulu or ABC, all different approaches. But if you have the right story, you know, and that's our job to find that story, we are experts in being able to tell those depending on, to, to the viewers who are engaging on those different platforms. Yeah. And I want to, I want to circle back to some of the work that you've done with advertisers and some of this IP that you have at Disney, but often I'll ask guests, like, how did you ever end up at, you know, this place? Because there's no way a kid ever wanted to work at that place. But this, this is different because I bet there is a lot of kids that grow up and say, I don't care what I do there, but I want to work at Disney. But was that something that you were interested in as a kid? Or what, what did you want to be when you're a you know, six or seven-year-old deciding what you want to be when you grow up? Well, I, I wanted to be second baseman for the Boston Red Sox, as most kids do. Uh, growing, growing up in Boston, I should be very specific about that. <laughs> yeah, growing up, I, it, to me, it was always sports. And I wanted to be a sports caster. I wanted to get into that. And uh, it's a very specialized, uh, of course, career. And... For me, as I kind of grew older and got into high school, I, I wrote a letter to the, to the local sportscaster at the time, Bob Lobel, who's kind of a legend in Boston. And I wrote an actual letter saying, I would love, can I come down and observe you for a day? Because I thought that's what I wanted to do. And, and I did. He wrote me back. He called me. And uh, yeah, he called me. And I, I went down and spent a day with this guy I'd idolized on TV. And I remember realizing that a lot of the control the creative control, the decisions were made by the people behind the camera. It wasn't necessarily those in front. And of course, it, there's a true collaboration and things have evolved. But I took away from that, that maybe I don't want to be the one on the TV. Maybe I should be behind the camera. And that kind of set me off and going to college and studying. The, the, the notion that I ever wanted or even considered Disney, it really wasn't even on my radar other than going as a child with grandparents to Disney World and being amazed by it and seeing Disney at the time for what it was, which was an amusement park and you know all these great characters and then the occasional movie. That was it for me. And I thought it was going to be sports. And so you, you, I, you, the funny thing for me is, and you also mentioned you're growing up, no one, you know, people do want to work for Disney, but I don't know any six or seven year old to say, yeah, but I want to do branded content. 
Uh, and there's a reason for that. Certainly, when you know, growing up, that wasn't a thing. But even now, there aren't a lot of places or universities that specifically focus just on this. It's certainly growing. But I find for a lot of the people with whom I deal, whether it's internally or externally, you kind of fell into it. And for me, it was when I was in college at Northwestern, I applied for internships at WGN along with a good friend of mine. She got the one in sports. I got the one in what was called on-air promo. And honestly, that set our careers off. She is still in sports. And I'm still, you know, related to on-air promo because that really set me off in the marketing side of things, promoting at the time sports and working uh, with marketing teams and then, you know, falling into what has become branded content. Because again, it was certainly not a thing when I was in school and when I first started in the business. Well, yeah, there's no clear path. There's no, I'm going to finish high school. I'm going to go to college. I'm going to take Branded Content 101, I'm going to do my master's in branded content. There's no clear path. So to someone now that, you know, this world exists, I I fell in love with it because I love marketing. So I came at it from, you came at it a little bit more from a journalistic side, I would say, or the idea of of sportscasting more almost editorial in, in thought. I came at it from the advertising side. But they're really, so. so the skills that I always worked on when I was going through, you know, college and, and through my career was this idea of, you know, targeting and messaging. So that's one way into it. What skills, because you're, you're on the creative side as well, what skills are there for someone that does want to get into branded content when there just isn't, you know, a university program that teaches exactly this? Well, what do you think people need to learn or develop as a skill set? Yeah, I, I get asked that a lot and just spoke with actually um, some students recently. And I, it is the same answer, I think, that you could give for many positions in entertainment in general, which I know at times, you know, you want to be specific and tell people, oh, this is the key. You know, if you learn this and, and, and learn how to use this program, if you can become a Photoshop expert and then do this, you can become, you know, an animator or an engineer. In, in this case, for me, the, and what I tell people all the time is learn how to write, learn how to communicate, learn how to listen. Um, and learn how to be a good human being, you know, as, as best as you can, because in this industry, and it doesn't matter whether you're in LA or New York, Chicago, really anywhere in the world, the things that we do, if we're doing our jobs properly and doing them to engage our viewers and our customers, there has to be a great story and you have to be able to tell that great story. And that's where the writing comes in and the communication comes in. So whether it's pitching an idea to an advertiser, pitching an idea to a talent agent to try to get this A-list talent to participate in this branded content, to pitching a showrunner to explaining to these to, to the folks uh, on the crew of Blackish why this particular partnership will resonate with our viewers and help the show, that takes communication skills. And so all these things come into play. And the listening, of course, is just a skill good in life. It doesn't matter what you're doing. But so many people... Um, and you see it in meetings and brainstorms and certainly now Zoom meetings, you see it all the time when people are looking down or looking <laughs> kind of almost through the computer. You can tell they're on their email or whatnot. Listening is such an important skill. So you can read the room. You can hear what people are saying back to you and adapt and adjust. And so those, th- those for me are huge if you want to get into really almost anything in this business, but for branded content. The reason I mentioned the, the storytelling is because that's all we do. We're storytellers. It doesn't matter that there's an advertiser involved. Who cares? 
if you're telling the right story, people are going to engage and watch. And that's, to me, the most important thing. Um, you know, th there's so many ways to improve all these skills. I always, um, I'm sure people on my team are sick of me saying, why don't you take an improv class? And because usually it's like, I don't want to do improv. I don't want to be an actor. Great. Even better. You will be way more successful if you, <laughs> if you go do that improv class, not wanting to become famous because you'll go in wanting to learn. Yeah, I did my first improv class, not by my own choice. So I have a, a friend in the industry and, you know, he's really into, you know, exploring these different skills and environments, even though it doesn't directly relate to his job. And so I think the fear people have with a lot of these areas. So if you said to someone, hey, take a writing class, I think people would be comfortable with that. It feels like a solo sport, right? It's you can you can go and you can do it. I went to this improv and I, I'm fairly outgoing and I've, you know, spoken at events and like being the, the life of the party sometimes. So I'm like, oh, yeah, I got this. And then we sat down in that room and I was sweating. I, there's so much social pressure in coming up with something on the spot. And I was talking to my cousin. My cousin is a screenwriter and producer. And we've always, you know, had a close relationship, but we just realized that our careers are starting to merge together really closely. So I've been in advertising, she's been in screenwriting, and we've never thought of ourselves as crossing paths. And then all of a sudden we start knowing the same people. And, you know, she's teaching me about the three act play. I'm teaching her about how brands like to advertise because there's this merging of those two practices that come together. So I like this idea of, of learning how to write because you do see it in you know, if you're going to do, if you're going to be a screenwriter, you have to know how to write. If you're going to be a comedian, comedians often stand up. They always talk about writing. Yeah, as that's, a, that's, I mean, that, that, that's it right there. Sitting in a coffee shop by yourself with a blank piece of paper and a pen. And because I, I, I did stand up for a few years and to sit there and think, hmm, what's funny? What's happened? Or to be able to recognize it and take in that type of uh, absurdities or whatever it is. But the other important thing about that is to me is having a point of view, which is another important part, I think, of really getting any writing in any branded content is having a point of view because that's going to define what you're writing and, and define your storytelling for you. And that's, I think you see great comedians have a point of view. So it's, it's so interesting. I couldn't agree more that I can see those two paths uh, between your friend screenwriting and what you're doing merging because they rely on each other now so much. Yeah. And you said that you did stand up for a few years. Like you just yeah. didn't do that at one. So I need to know, like, how does that, how does that happen? What was that like? Sure. Living in Los Angeles and I'd done improv for years. That's how I met my wife. And, but I had quote, you know, retired, I hung up the improv shoes, I guess, sneakers. That's what you wear. But for me, uh, I'd always in my head thought, I just, I want to do stand up at one, at some point. I knew, it was a muscle that I just felt like I just have to exercise this muscle. Three other close friends of mine were having the same feelings. And, and so um, several years ago, we said, hey, let's just treat this as adults because we're not in our early 20s and didn't have the time to go sit at comedy clubs till three in the morning and complain about how miserable our lives are. So we, we had lives to live and jobs and places to be. So we said, we're going to treat this like a job. And we started meeting every other Monday night. We didn't tell anyone about it. So it was our own little fight comedy club. And we wrote and we performed for each other and we videotaped each other and gave notes for each other. And we did this for nearly a year 
Um, and every once in a while, we'd go far out and do uh, do an open mic night, which in itself is a whole experience because no one's paying attention to you. It's like a Zoom meeting. You know, you're just sitting there, everyone's <laughs> looking at their own notes, waiting for them to speak and get up on stage. So, but it's a necessary part of the process. And then we rented out a theater and booked two shows for ourselves and had the time of our lives. And just, it was such a great writing experience for all the reasons that you mentioned. And, and because you're forced to just write and then rewrite and rewrite again. There was a great comic who's sadly passed away, Ralphie May. And he, he gave a video tutorial once. I remember watching it. And his point was, okay, if you have eight minutes, you should probably be able to get that eight minutes. And I'm, I'm sure I'm getting this wrong, but down to four minutes. And then maybe get it down to two minutes. And that's really the essence of writing, taking out what don't you need in there? What is not central to the story, the point of view, the joke in that case that you're trying to tell? And so when we do that with scripts all the time, and that's that's the thing, it's in my head, I'll, I think, well, this is so important. And then one of our creative directors will come in and say, you don't need any of that. None of that is necessary. The viewer doesn't care. They just need to see that human being and boom, they're there. They know everything. There's no backstory needed. And so that was a, an invaluable exercise to go through that process. And so I just we did stand up. We had a, so much fun doing it. It was partially just this these four guys bonding together. Um, but what was also really fun for me was anytime we would travel, my wife and I like to travel internationally, I would find clubs. I would try to find just an open mic somewhere. So I got to do stand up in Hong Kong and I did it in Singapore in this crazy club. I couldn't believe they gave me, I think, nine minutes there was over a hundred people there. It was, uh, I'm sure, a fire hazard, but I had a blast doing it. So it's just a really interesting way to approach writing and exercise a muscle that you're probably not exercising. But it is, there's that moment, you talked about that moment sweating in a group with improv. That terrifies me more in certain ways than stand-up did. Uh, the the stand-up for me was what I loved is there's there's no one else. There's no excuses. I don't buy the audience was bad. The the room was bad. Nope. That's it's on you. <laughs> you were bad that night if you didn't, you know, if you didn't get laughs, that's on you. I don't care if that killed the night before. You didn't do it well tonight. And I love that about it. I love there's just that moment you walk up and everyone's staring at you and judging you. And your first few lines are pretty much going to define your experience for the audience and for you. And it's such an incredible challenge. There's so much fear around it, but I found it so much easier than improv because improv, you got nothing. <laughs> it's just you and you and uh, crazy suggestions of inappropriate objects. Right. Well, and there's some sense of control over, you know, you wrote this. Now I'm going to present it. It's not relying on anyone else. There's also a huge, you know, my my belief on what humans are is we're a lot of times hormone chasing animals. And there is a lot of, you know, hormones running through your body and your brain when you have that fear at first and then anxiety and then some elation once and then you hear the laughter and there's a lot of hormones running around in that room. Uh, so I can imagine there's a high that you develop off of it as well. A, a tremendous high. The, the interesting thing about writing and the other thing that I, I, I feel it's important for me to mention because I'll say to folks, take a writing class, but I'm not, I, I don't necessarily mean go out and find an ad writing class or a script writing class. It can be anything. If there's a class on haikus and you find a class on haikus and spend eight weeks writing the best haiku, fantastic. I guarantee that that will make you a better writer in general. Poetry class, great. Go write poetry. I guarantee the skill set that you will be 
honing in on in those classes will be huge no matter what you try to write before because it's all about the words and and being judicious with them and conveying again point of view and message so it doesn't matter what you take what type of class it is just write and i guarantee you'll be better and it sounds like you you have this curiosity with exploring these different you know muscles whether it's improv or comedy are you from you're in california now right yep yep los angeles based and are you born and raised la hollywood person or or did something draw you over there so i grew up in in the boston area and for me i think once i once it occurred to me that i, I wanted to go into entertainment I knew I wanted to move to Los Angeles. It was really that simple. It was just the shining star that I had to get here. And then it was a matter of how do I, as a, as a kid, fresh out of college, working in sports promotion, how do I get to Los Angeles? What's the path? And I didn't really necessarily have one other than I visited once and I loved it. So it it, it became this goal, but it wasn't like I need to get there tomorrow. It was, it was again, like stand-up. I always knew I was going to do it. I always knew I would end up in Los Angeles. I just didn't know how. And so... At the time, I was living in Kansas City, and at that local station, which KNBC, and it was an ABC powerhouse, they were starting a WB affiliate there. And they needed someone to help launch that WB affiliate. And I was there already doing marketing for the local ABC station. And so my boss said, hey, can you, can you help us launch this? And I said, sure. And he made a deal with me if I stayed an extra year, because I already told him I wanted to move to LA. He said, if you stay an extra year, I, I, I guarantee you a year from now, if you help me launch this network here in Kansas City, I'll help you get to LA. And I looked at him, I said, deal. And so we launched this, it was KCWE, I think at the time, in Kansas City. I had a blast. This was right when the WB was kind of starting up. And I, I had a tremendous amount of fun. And a year to the day, I walked up to his office. Um, his name is Dino Dinovitz, just an amazing boss, general manager, all around great guy and mentor. And I said, okay, it's been a year. He said, you got it. And he set up three interviews for me in Los Angeles. I set up one of my own. I went, took a trip to LA. I ended up getting the job that I had set up on my own, which was with the WB Network. And that was the moment for me. I got to move to Los Angeles. I got thrown into the WB. This was in its heyday when Dawson had his creek and Buffy was slaying things. And <laughs> it was truly, I, 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 it was a dream come true because... I just wanted to be a part of Hollywood. I wanted that moment and I got it. Um, and I've never let go of that excitement. I still walking on a soundstage, walking on a set, driving onto a lot. I still love it. I'm still fascinated by it, excited by it. I want to try and figure things out. And so at the time, being at the WB was perfect because it was small enough that everyone had to have exposure to everyone. You had to learn about what was going on. You had to know what was being developed. Even though that wasn't my job, I was in affiliate marketing, working with stations across the country. But I had to understand the marketing of the network. I had to understand the brand because it was my job to help take that brand and translate it for local markets. So how does this resonate with people in Chicago, in Kansas City, and across the country? And then travel to help, you know, almost share the wisdom of the WB, but help these local networks and then the real fun part came when I got to travel with talent, which just, again, being always wanted to move to Hollywood and then someone telling you to get on a plane in two days because you need to go to, at the first trip was Cleveland with Nikki Cox. I, I just, I couldn't believe this. I'm traveling with a celebrity. It just, 
it was such an exciting time and also a very formative time career-wise because the folks and the team that were at that WB network at that time are still good friends. There's, there's still kind of reunions when we were allowed to actually see humans in person. And so much work and joy came out and passion came out of that time, particularly, I mean, even from a marketing standpoint, that it was very formative, even though I was only there three years. This idea of celebrity is really, has always been really intriguing to me. I, you know, grew up watching a lot of shows where, you know, I just, I remember I wanted to be an actor only because I watched Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and I loved how much fun the actors had in the bloopers at the end. I didn't even want to act. I specifically <laughs> just wanted to have fun with sure. the actor, with Will Smith. That was the entire <laughs> idea. Uh, and I watched, I remember, I watched Dawson's Creek. I remember uh, James Vanderbeek and Katie Holmes and things. This was the idea that you would be even able to meet them, let alone work with these people, wasn't even within my, I grew up in, I'm Canadian, I grew up in a prairie city. There was no, there was no, no one was from Edmonton that made it in, in movies and film at that time. And uh, I'm curious what your thoughts are around this idea of celebrity, because you were attracted to it, you were you know, and now you've worked in it for a long time, but you've also, I imagine a big part of why brands are attracted to Disney is also because of the talent and the IP. So it goes beyond just like a little kid wanting to meet their, their hero. Uh, it goes to, all the way through to brands wanting to interact with these, these people that are famous and that have, you know, their own following and their own skills that maybe we don't possess ourselves. Well, there's so much to unpack in that. So yes, um, for, for me, the, the celebrity thing was, was bundled up in Hollywood. And I got to join that and be a part of it at the right age where I was wide-eyed and every little thing was amazing. And so for someone to say, you're going to Wilmington, you need to go to the, the set of Dawson's Creek and do X, Y, and Z, take these contest winners, make or interview the talent or set this press, whatever it was. I just couldn't believe that that was my life. And I got to do that and get to know people on these shows as humans, because that's ultimately, you know, when you look at folks as their celebrity, and then you get to a point where you inevitably have to realize they're all, they're people just like us, as the magazines would say, but they just have a different job. And nine times out of 10, they just want to be treated as human beings. They, they don't want the special treatment. There's a time and a place for that. And there are publicists and managers and assistants who will all handle all of that, trust me. But they're just people. And so getting to know certain people in that, at that time period as for who they were was just, it was so special to me. And again, being a fan of those shows and working on them uh, was incredibly exciting. And is something that is still a part of my world today, even at Disney. I mean, if you look at the, the IP that we have, to your point about the talent, that's the other unique thing that, for me, that still gives me joy every day. I am a fan of the Bachelor franchise. I have been since well before I worked for Disney. And so the fact that I got to go to the Bachelor Mansion one day, it blew my mind. And I'm an adult. And so, and that was only a few years ago. This wasn't like, <laughs> this was a few years ago. The fact that we get to work with members of that cast and with Chris Harrison, still delights me to this day. We had a brainstorm about the Bachelor franchise yesterday, and I get excited, and I don't get to sit in many brainstorms, but if it's a Bachelor one, I want to be there because I love the show, and I know as a fan, I believe I know 
what's going to resonate with viewers. So I want to be a part of those things. And the best part about it right now is brands want to be a part of those things as well. Bachelor is huge, but you can look across our entire span of the IP. And that's why people come to us is because of the talent and the stories that we're able to tell whether they're in character or out of character. So obviously in the sense of The Bachelor, we're dealing with real human beings. And so that is, they're going to be themselves. Chris is going to be himself. But when we're working with Blackish, for example, we're, Anthony Anderson can either be Anthony Anderson himself or he can be Dre. And when we're working with the, the crew at Stevens and Lido, we love working with them in character because those are such rich characters that we can have a tremendous amount of fun playing in their world, but still, particularly because there's an ad agency on that show, which was genius on Kenya's part, but because we can do that within their world, they can be authentic and give back brand messaging that our partners want us to convey, but do it in an authentic manner. And so celebrities, for celebrity's sake, I think only can get you so far. You can put up big name talent there, but if you don't have a reason for them to be there or a story, then to me, it's just a tactic. And so often we'll be in a brainstorm and someone will say, what if we have such and such do this? And everyone's, oh, that's a, that's a really great idea. And of course, because we've been trained, we want to yes and it as much as possible. But you get to a point when you say, wait a minute, is that, is that, is that really an idea? Is that something? I remember, I remember David Letterman used to have that thing in a show. Is this anything or whatever it was called? And that's kind of what we do. We'll take a step back. Sometimes it's the next day. Or we force ourselves to write it out and then you come back and say, actually, that's, that's not really anything. That's just talent talking and we don't have a story. So we try to find out what's the story first and then figure out who is going to best be able to help us tell that story. And that's where these stars come in because the characters are so well developed. The shows uh, resonate with our fans in a way that they need it to be authentic. We cannot get away with something. We know it immediately. If we miss the mark, you see it in about 10 seconds on social media. And it's, uh, it's brutal at times, you know, if you miss it. But when you do it right, you also see that same feedback in 10 seconds. And, and you, you see feedback where fans say, oh, my God, I love that. Uh, that's as entertaining as the show. And that really is the task that is at you know, our doorstep every single day. Because and it's something I've heard talked about on your podcast previously, when you're given the opportunity to work with these platforms, these shows, these showrunners, you have a responsibility. You can't, you can't put something out there and say, well, that's because it's branded content. It doesn't have to be as fill in the blank, good, entertaining, strong, compelling. Nope. I would argue it has to be even more of those things because you have an, you may have an advertiser in there. So the bar is set even higher for the work that we do. And if we do it poorly, we lose engagement, we could lose an advertiser, and we could, you know, obviously lose the trust that we have built and worked so hard to build with our partners in our portfolio. We'll be back to the episode in just a few seconds. But first, we have some exciting news for you. At Pressboard, we love stories, but we know how hard it can be to measure them. So we're here to help, whether it's a sponsored article on a news site, an Instagram post from an influencer, or a video on YouTube. Our tech measures it all. Pressboard is already trusted by Spotify, Intel, NBC Universal, Hearst, and thousands more. And here's the big news. Listeners of the podcast can try out the Pressboard platform 
platform for free. Just email info at pressboardmedia.com right now. All right, let's get back to the show. Well, there's so many reputations on the line. You have an actor as a person, you have the character that they're playing, you have the show that they're within and all the all that comes with that. And then you have a brand with their own reputation and their own, you know, what they have as their voice in the market. There's one program that, that you guys ran that I found really took this idea of, is this the person? Is this the actor? Is this the show? Is this the brand? And it's the uh, Novo Nordisk campaign with Anthony Anderson. I found this sure. super, if you can walk us through this and, and just talk a little bit about how the gray area between Anthony, the person and the character and the brand and how that all comes together. For people that don't know, Novo Nordisk is a treatment for type 2 diabetes, I believe, right? This is an advertiser and a product and a theme that is central to Anthony himself. So this is a real life thing for him. And he partners with the pharmaceutical in his own life because that's a passion point for him. So it was one of these situations where we already know there's an association there, there's authenticity there. And for that reason, we could easily shoot with Anthony being Anthony. But we also want to ground that in the world in which our viewers are used to seeing him, which is the IP of the show, Blackish. But we, in this case, he needed to be Anthony, not Dre. And Ultimately, we, we could, it could go either way in that, but for what the advertiser wanted and what we thought was best for, to be able to tell that story, to be that authentic and raw, was to have Anthony be Anthony. And so for that reason, we shot it on the set, but you get to see more of this behind the scenes look of it. I believe that even uh, Anthony's character uh, in Blackish develops uh, type 2 diabetes. So you have this crazy, uh, you know, life becoming art becoming reality is branded content. I find that really, you know, there's all these pieces. Sometimes that puzzle just fits together really, really nicely when uh, it comes from this place where the people involved are, would do it anyway, right? No one's being forced into this. Everyone is, there's this synergy that's happening. And I, I've noticed this a lot with the, the Disney branded content campaigns is sometimes you're not a hundred percent sure who is benefiting more from it? Is it is it the Google phone that's benefiting it from it? Or is it, you know, Blackish the show that's being promoted? Because I've seen quite a few of these pieces and the ones that really, really work, it's it's hard to tell who almost is paying who to, to run that program because everybody's benefiting in such a way with exposure and awareness and and even seeing a different side that we don't sometimes get to see in when the person is fully in character. And I, I know that you, I think you've penned this word. So I'm going to give you credit for uh, this word. I think it's outagration. You're going to have to <laughs> yes. give the definition, but we'll see if we can get it going as, as a word. And maybe the dictionary Webster's will eventually, or Oxford dictionary will pick it up. That will, as be, the that will be my legacy if it, if it does happen. Yeah, a lot of the folks, word of 2020 uh, is outagration. I think a lot of folks on my team will roll their eyes because they're sick of it. But um, the best part is when an advertiser and it's, it's happened repeats it back to us in a mm -hmm. meeting. We're like, well, we're actually looking for an outagration. Yeah. And I feel like an angel gets its wings and, uh, and I <laughs> smile, I see eye rolls and no one else knows what's going on, but it secretly mm -hmm. delights me. When you talk about the authenticity and who benefits. Um, in an ideal world, what we're doing is mutually beneficial, and there's, it's not tipped to one or the other. You're not 
you're not looking at it and saying, oh, they paid for that, right? You don't know. And that's to me, then we've done our job properly, where it's not overtly commercial. You're, we always talk about when we're writing and you know, where's the turn? Where's that point where we do have to make this sell? And that's a very challenging conversation because I hate the fact that sometimes we have to make one. And if we do, then I feel like we're not doing a great job. If there doesn't have to be a turn, because it's just naturally within that. You know, the Google Pixel's great examples, and they've been great partners with us. Um, so who benefits the most? That's a great case. I mean, ideally, we both are. We, we uh, Team members said, you know, our job is really is to, to benefit and elevate both brands and compromise neither. And that's really the essence of what we're doing. You at home say, oh my gosh, that, I don't even know who, whose idea was that. That's great. Who, that's the way it's supposed to be. And ultimately, you just think, wow, that, that's a cool phone. I like that. And I still, I like that show too. I may go check that out because we're, we're supposed to be really sharing both and having an equal blend. And it's something we talk about a lot with our partners. And it's, as branded content has evolved over the last decade and a half, there's been a shift because people had to understand it. And the first instinct for an advertiser, an agency is, let's make a commercial. And we have to say, I love that. Um, great news. You're already making a commercial. In many cases, that commercial that you made, which is fantastic, is going to run right after this piece of branded content. It's going to be adjacent. We don't need to make another commercial as you did it. You nailed it. So why did you come to us for our storytelling, for our association with the IP? So let's do that. Let's engage our viewers, regardless of the platform, whether it's in a social feed, let's stop them where they're scrolling, whether it's on the actual television in a commercial pod, let's make sure they watch and engage and get them to digest your message as well. They're going to work better together. And we know that from research. So it is a, it's a, it's a big discussion in these, in these type of projects. But ultimately, if you're the viewer at home and just watching going, boy, that was super fun. I really love that. Another, then, then we've done our job. Cadillac with the Oscars is a great example of that. Another one where it was authentic and people just were loving seeing Regina and hearing from her and what was truly an authentic message from her and about her. That's when we do our job well. People don't even care that that she's she's in the Cadillac the whole time and she's talking about it and she loves it. Then we all win. And I imagine because I'm, I'm picturing myself being a brand and walking up and just seeing the vast IP that Disney has and, and saying, you know, what if I imagine this, there has to be some crazy ideas that, you know, right off the bat, aren't going to get anywhere. Like what if we replace the lightsaber in star Wars with like a, an extendable vacuum? Wouldn't that be, fun for everybody. Yeah, Jared, I, I love what you're saying with this. And this is what we say, Jared, that is a great idea. And I'm going to, I'll certainly, we're going to think about it. What I will tell you is historically, our uh, highly creative uh, team and our partners at Lucas are very, very protective of their IP and particularly uh, the lightsaber. So uh, while we're happy to check that out behind the scenes, might we <laughs> interest you in an idea in some, uh, in some of our IP that is a little bit maybe uh, easier to work with in that case, because there's honestly, I don't want to do that. Like as a fan of Star Wars, I don't want to make that call and say, Hey, um, so here's a crazy idea. Might you ever put pasta instead of a lightsaber? Just riffing here. Like I'm going to lose my credibility. 
So we do get that a lot. Um, but there are times when you don't know until you ask. And so we, we find a way to get to a place where if we, if we buy it, if it passes our gut check and we're all fans of different aspects. So I am not, uh, I enjoy Marvel, but I don't know go deep within the universe, the cinematic universe, to know all the different nuances of characters. But I got folks on, on our team who do. So we can check in with them and, and they're all, we are fans that cover all of the IP. So that's how we can do a little gut check and say, uh, I don't know if that's going to fly, but how about this? And that's really our job is to find a solution for everything. The, the challenge I think with any big company and particularly being there for so long is Sometimes you do get in your head and say, oh, that'll never happen. And that's a danger. It's a danger for anyone in any business to fall back on the no, because it's easy. And so our job internally is to push each other and say, I, I know that seems really hard and chances are probably not, but let's just try. We got nothing to lose on this one. And this seems reasonable. And there are millions of reasons they could say no, but if we can just get one yes from someone, then we can leverage that yes across the board. And that's how we've had some success navigating what, as you, you know, talked about the beating, we're a massive company. Million points of view, a, a million portals to unlock to get approvals. And we're always trying to figure out and learn which is <laughs> the best path. But that's how you answer those kind of crazy questions is, I don't know about one of these, but may I interest you in this? Um, and that can work. Well, and I think that's probably it's a, it's beneficial that that is that question's even coming to you because not everyone has that opportunity for someone a brand manager a CMO to be thinking about about you and working with your company while they're watching TV with their kids right while they're at a store looking at merchandise and being like oh man i would love for my brand to be somewhere close to this so mm -hmm. it's this really powerful it's great power great responsibility type thing because i imagine that there are there was a time where actors wouldn't be in commercials there was a time when movie actors would never be on a tv series and you know they would do commercials in japan where their local audience may not see it i right, think that's right. that's changed pretty significantly and even a bigger part you see actors starting to become businesses themselves i mean ryan reynolds owns a gin sure. company uh You've got, I think, um, you have so many different actors that own, you know, a music label if they're musicians. So this this idea of I'm a person, I'm one role, and that's all I'll ever be. I think branded content may give that bridge. When I when I was talking to Rochelle, my my cousin, uh, she had released a film called Chained that just came out, and she talked about how you know one future way of funding film could be brands because traditionally films are funded by people that are investing in the film and they make their money uh, off of the proceeds from selling movie tickets and cinema and streaming, et cetera. But there is this possibility where brands themselves could help fund theatrical films or TV series. And it'll be interesting to see with so much moving towards streaming, Disney plus you have Netflix where commercials in their traditional sense don't exist in that same way. Uh, I'm interested to see how brands will start navigating because brands tend to follow consumer behavior and consumer behavior has aggressively moved towards streaming over the last few years. I think it's natural that brands are going to want to follow that consumption behavior. I don't know if you have any thoughts on, 
on that being in that space? Well, I think some of that is already happening. You're seeing certain brands fund documentaries, longer format storytelling. Our partners in that geo get involved in that. Um, even a project we did recently, and I know this is a little bit, uh, this is not a film, but what we did for Ford to help launch their Bronco this summer was three short films, two and a half, three minutes across three different networks on our portfolio. So the longer form storytelling, we were in a brainstorm earlier today, heavy pitch uh, coming up today about just that. How are we partnering with advertisers, really our partners, to help tell stories in a different way and to ultimately reflect how our consumers are consuming this now, to your point, streaming, social, all these things that are always evolving. And so there's a time and a place for all of these. If you want to be in a big event, you want the, you know, the, I'm putting in air quotes, the water cooler talk that we used to have, then what happened on The Bachelor last night, you're going to want to still be in that linear. You're going to need that. There's that distribution. But as different types of storytelling are becoming even more and more popular and affordable, which is the other thing is the technology supports this. What was incredibly expensive to make certain uh, types of programming has gone down. And so it affords the opportunity for advertisers to help fund that. So we've certainly taken meetings with them. I've sat in them to hear what specific advertisers are listening, you know, are looking for in that. It's been a harder nut to crack on our side of it, but there are discussions about it. And I do, I think your point is very sound. It's, this is going to be evolving. And the, it's the other great thing about all of this is that what we're doing today isn't going to be how, what we're doing in six months or a year from now, the, the what, the how, the where, all these things are constantly changing. And so there's only one thing that is always going to be the same. And that's the importance of story. And so as long as we, and this is a collective we in the industry, are doing our jobs and telling good stories, I don't think viewers are going to care where they're seeing it um, or if who is helping to support and partner in it. As long as the content is good and engaging, I, I think we will all continue to evolve and support the industry in that way. And I, you know, as, as far as where there's so much, the, the streaming, the growth there has been incredible to see. It's been incredible inside the company to watch uh, as a fan, you know, harking back to your first question about Disney. I didn't know as a kid to be that excited. I was a jaded, sarcastic East Coaster. But I love and working for Disney in a way that is surprising to me in the sense that because I'm the sarcastic East Coaster, the fact that I have such a passion and appreciation for the work that the company is doing, and I sound like a company guy here, but for folks who know me, this is not <laughs> normally the way I talk. But in this particular case, I can turn on a variety of platforms. I can watch a show at Hulu, on Hulu, and say, oh my God, boy, was that amazing. And then six weeks later, we're in a brainstorm talking with folks about that show. And the same thing happens with our movies, TV shows, social platforms. And for a creative, there's nothing better. There's truly nothing better than being able to interact with these, these platforms, these IPs, these storytellers and tell stories across all of these things. And then to be able to investigate or consider the idea of longer form. Could we make a full episode paid for by someone? How do we do that? I think it's always going to change. And it's our jobs to kind of 
listen to what people want and to be fans ourselves, to go home, to consume, or we're already home, so just keep consuming and see what works and keep trying new things. I think it just speaks to, you know, there is a halo effect of the quality of storytelling that's happened with Disney. I mentioned to one of my kids that I, uh, my guest was going to be someone that works at Disney and they're like, oh my God, because it's just, it's, it's just such a, it's so clear the value proposition that Disney provides to people around the world. And I think it's an exciting place. And I'm interested to really watch branded content as it evolves inside of an organization and see how you, uh, especially with your curiosity around comedy and improv and sports, it's it's very, and, and before I let you go, because this is going to, so I always ask people for a favorite book or a favorite movie. I'm going to specifically put you right on the spot and ask for your favorite movie. I'm going to, and I'm going to make the, you can say if Disney, but I'll say what's your favorite Disney movie and what's your favorite non-Disney movie that should maybe keep uh, keep the PR crews happy. <laughs> you know, I don't worry about things like that because you know it's 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 funny. We and I've heard this, I've heard answers like this or topics like this even at the top levels. You know, and hearing a Bob Iger or Chapek talk about competitors with a smile, and I think that's really important because I can. I can watch a show right now. Like if I had to pick my favorite, this is this is not answering your question. I will answer your question. But if I had to pick a favorite TV show right now that I just finished with my wife, it's Ted Lasso. Not not on not on any of my platforms, but boy was that wonderful storytelling and perfect for where we are today, I think in society. I loved it. I'm telling everyone about it. It's not on Disney Plus. That's okay. If they're doing well, that's great. And I think that's the same for this industry with movies. So my favorite movie of all time, probably Waiting for Guffman. Um, I, I, it always just worked for me. When I was single, it was a type of movie I would play like on a third or fourth day. That was like the gut check. If, <laughs> if you got this movie, then you got me. And if you didn't, then this is probably not going to work. And so I've always loved that. On the drama side, Shawshank. As far as Disney movies, I, I, will, always, I will always love things like Little Mermaid. It'll always resonate for me. I remember seeing it in the theater. I always loved the songs. I learned to play them on piano. And again, I was an adult when that came out, or at least young adult. And I loved that. Um, so things like that, that movie, I mean, will always resonate with me. I, there are a million of them. Look, we just watched, there's a movie coming out from Disney that we just watched, and I can't talk about it, but I loved it. I, I was so excited to watch it. And oh, wow, that is a great, great movie. I can't wait for that to come out for other people to see it. Um, and that is, I think, what I love about working for Disney is that there are so many great creators. And so the, the other thing I want to say about that is when you talk about, even you mentioned, you know, with your kids saying, oh, wow, they work at Disney. Like, I work at Disney. and I, But when I think about who works at Disney in the face of that and What's, you know, what does that mean to people? We had uh, one of the famous Imagineers, Joe Rody, come speak to our team virtually. And boy, was that exciting to hear from this incredible Imagineer, legendary guy who helped design some iconic things at our parks. So for me, I am within this company and still have that kind of fandom and excitement from hearing from a colleague, someone I could just email, but still feels like you're getting a celebrity to talk to you because they are that good of a storyteller. They have mastered their craft and they're a cast member and they're on your internal 
directory and you can look them up and find their phone number and ring them up if you really want to. That's that's crazy to me that we have that. And I, I think it's crazy that uh, a coworker, and I love telling the story, like was in a, I was at lunch with them. We were working on something for an advertiser and they leaned over with their phone and said, oh, it was related to one of the Star Wars films coming up. And they held up a phone and said, hey, if I could get you this, would you want this at your shoot? And I look at the phone and it was a life-size X-Wing fighter. <laughs> how, how does that happen? And I thought, you can't be serious. She said, I, th I think I think I know how to get that. And lo and behold, flash forward six weeks later, I pull up on set and there's that X-Wing fighter there and there's R2-D2. And ugh, I mean, that's my childhood right there. So I'm still a fan of all this stuff. And so the idea that someone gets excited that I work at Disney, sure, I work at Disney. But when I think Disney, I think that as well. And I think of those iconic properties. And that's the stuff that I get to walk into every day. And so people ask a lot, how do you get to work at Disney? How do you go do all those? How do you get these opportunities? Disney is a massive company. And there are, in, in normal times, so many opportunities. And um, it's about getting to have a great point of view, being a good storyteller. And then, obviously, there is luck with all jobs for these days. But if you can tell a story, you have a good point of view, um, you will be noticed. And particularly within the company, uh, I think you can have a great career because there are so many opportunities for storytelling that you're bound to find something that resonates with you. Yeah. You may not have become, you know, second baseman. But there's, there's still time. Let's not, let's not count still, me out. Yeah, there's, there's still time. I, I, we appreciate a little bit more optimism for on sure. this. It's a, it's a position that you can, you know, be older than 22 for. So, uh, but maybe, you know, as a consolation, if this outigration word becomes a thing uh, and you could, you never know, right? You, you could have your name in history one way or another. Uh, I've, I've appreciated having you on the show. I'm a, I'm a big fan of, of your work and of Disney's work. And I hope uh, I'll, I'll add some links in the show notes for any listeners that want to check out some of uh, what Jeffrey and the team has been doing over at Disney Creative Works. Thank you so much, Jeffrey, for being on the show. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. It's been a, a real, a real fun time chatting with you. And uh, I hope folks enjoy the content we do. I've got an amazing team and uh, they do all this work. I'm a little bit PT Barnum here, just kind of helping to direct traffic. The, we've got incredible writers, producers, and directors on our team, and, and they do this work. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm here to chat about it. I got a lot of words, but they've got the best words on the paper and they do a great job. Awesome. Takes a village. <laughs> it, it does a crazy one virtually. <laughs>